Here in Revelation chapter 3, we see the dead church. Maybe that's the heading there in your Bible, the dead church or the dying church. And we've gone through this progression of churches, the loveless church, right? They've left their first love. We've seen the church that's going through much difficulty, that they're going through death, but instead they are alive. Then we went through the compromising church they were allowing compromise in the pews we saw the corrupt church they had corruption from the platform from the pulpit and it bled into the people and now we just see a church that is plain dead it reminded me of an interview uh, with a a chef by the name of Alton Brown I like the way that he cooks my wife she cooks and it comes out amazing incredible when I cook it's like science class is happening pull out scales, I pull out gloves, I pull out measurements, and that's why I like the way he cooks. But he says, once a region believes that it's got the lock on a certain cuisine, the quality almost always goes downhill. If you really want great buffalo chicken wings, I'll tell you where not to go. Buffalo. When a region thinks that their identity is kind of locked into it, we get this. People begin making too much of it, to tourists that don't know the difference. And I think this is so much like the church of Sardis. They began to just buy into their identity. And the people coming, they didn't know the difference. But Jesus is able to see through their outward appearance. Christ is able to see through their name and reputation and say, you guys are completely dead. You have a reputation that you're alive. You have a lot of movement on the outside, but inwardly you are dead. I don't know if you've ever been through that. You go to a business or a restaurant. You go your first time. The owner greets you. They give you free appetizers. The quality is top notch. Everything's incredible. You come back six months later. You invited a friend. You told them how incredible it was. And all of a sudden, nothing seems the same, right? The quality's gone off, there's a lot of people there, you're waiting forever, and then six months later, they end up closing, right? New management and different things like that. That's exactly what's happened here to Sardis. That word Sardis, it means the escaping ones, or the coming out ones. And as we've looked at the church historically, the different seasons of the church, coming out of the corrupt church last week, it was speaking of that Roman Catholic church when it was first born into existence. Rome as a world power and Constantine, right, he grabs the Christian church and he creates his new form of it. He adds different things. He takes the same pagan holidays and he adds that into the church calendar and all of this mess and it gives birth to this corrupt church. And here in Sardis, in church history, we see a handful of people escaping from this corruption. A handful of people coming out of this mess of a church. But we'll look at that later on. Here Jesus, he refers to himself back from Revelation chapter 1. The title he gives himself here is the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Better translated, it would be he who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. In Isaiah chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, we get a description of Jesus and the Holy Spirit upon him. In verse 2, it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide things by the hearing of his ears. We see this sevenfold spirit of the, spirit of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might. We would say that as strength today. Spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We know that when Christ comes into the life of an unbeliever, they go from death to life. They go from death and death eternally to life and that abundantly. It's the Holy Spirit coming inside of them and making an abode, right? Making a home within their life, within their soul, within their spirit. And when a believer or a church or a church movement begins to neglect the Holy Spirit, they will soon find themselves rotting away and it will always send them heading towards death itself. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, it tells us that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And all of this is dependent on the leadership. It's dependent on Myself as a pastor and the group of pastors here. Within your homes, it's dependent on the leadership, the fathers here, the single mothers here. Your decisions will lead to your home being more spiritual and having more life in it or to spiritual death taking root and making its home within your home. The more and more we make decisions outside of the Holy Spirit, the quicker and quicker we will find ourselves running towards death. Making decisions without the spirit of the Lord, without the wisdom of the Lord, the understanding of the Lord, without the counsel of the Lord, without the strength of the Lord, without the knowledge of the Lord, and ultimately making decisions without the fear of the Lord always leads to death. There's many churches today that have their boardrooms filled with smart and successful men. Millionaires and billionaires. However, many of them have no relationship with Jesus Christ. The pastors and the churches have simply brought these men onto their boards because they have been wise in earthly wisdom. They have money. They have power. They have fame. So maybe by association, our church will have money, will have power, will have fame. Sometimes the worship team, or rather said the band, the church simply hires musicians. The musicians come in early in the church and they have their little box and there they grab their sheet music and they grab their check. They get out there on stage, they play their music and they leave before the Bible is even opened. They just hire the best that they can and instead of being filled with the Spirit and having Spirit-filled people do the Lord's work, they simply chase works. We have to be careful with that in our own lives. These churches, they have lots of movement We would think they're alive. We would think they are kicking. But we must remember what God has to tell his own prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. Probably one of the very few faithful men in all the land of Israel. The last judge and the first prophet. God has to remind them. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. We have to be careful. I have to be careful Myself, right, in the church life, in my personal life, and my home life. That it's not just about being concerned with what does man see. What's on the outward appearance? King saw his whole life was obsessed with his outward spiritual appearance. 
All Saul cared about was what do the people think about my spiritual life. His spiritual life with God was non-existent. He was going to fortune tellers, right? He was going to necromancers, people talking with the dead. And upon being busted on this, he tells Samuel, hey, just, just stay with me. I know I'm sort of out of fellowship, but hey, Samuel, stay with me. That way the people will at least see you with me by association. Saul's spiritual life was completely dead, but he was consumed. God's word tells us he was zealous for the people's approval. We have to be careful with that within our church and within our lives. Jesus continues and he says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. You see, Jesus knows our actual works. And not only our actual works, but he knows the heart behind them. He doesn't care about how people see us or how people look at us. We may be fooling people. We may be fooling our parents. We may be fooling our spouses. We may be fooling our pastors. But we will never fool Jesus Christ. David Guzik, he says, a good reputation is no guarantee of true spiritual character. A good reputation is no guarantee of true spiritual character. Again, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, when Moses' father is telling him to choose men for leadership within the nation of Israel, he says to get men with good reputation and men who know the scriptures. Again, twofold thing there. They got to know God's word and they have to be of good reputation. In the New Testament, in the pastoral epistles, Paul often tells Timothy or his other sons in the faith, they have to be men of good reputation and filled with the Holy Spirit. We got to be careful. Sometimes we just gravitate towards people because of a good reputation, but they are spiritually dead. We need to have both in our lives, that good reputation and the Holy Spirit living in and through us. Sandy Adams in his teaching, he says, The work of God often begins as a movement. We see the movement of God. But sadly, often it becomes a machine. We just try to keep on cranking out what God is doing. We hold on to the same ministries. We try to keep the same number of people. We try to get even more people. And after it becomes a machine, it turns into a monument. It becomes a monument. Where now it's just about the church, the name of the church. The pastor's become a rock star in his mind, right? And he has his own little groupies with him. He has his green room and security and all this stuff, right? And when a church becomes a monument, it always ends up as a memorial. Ends up as a memorial. It's something that's dead. Like we read last week, Ichabod, the spirit of God has departed. It's no longer about God and his spirit moving in the hearts of people it's about putting on a show. It's about people feeling good. It's about getting people moving and shaking, right? But it's no longer about the Holy Spirit. Once we have a name and a reputation for something, we can fall into a rut and just lean on our name. We have to be careful with that. Sardis rode their reputation for life, but they were dead. That's what Jesus says. We can turn to Matthew 23. And here in Matthew 23, Jesus gives us a perfect example of on the outward, there's works, it's clean, there's life on the outward, but inwardly it is completely dead. Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23 verse 25, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, the heart of the Pharisee was filled with hypocrisy, a double life. They wanted to appear more holy than they actually were. And it was filled with a lawlessness, a lack of purity, a lack of obedience to God's true word. Sardis looked all nice on the outside, but on the inside they were more sinful. They were filled with sin. They were more unbelievers in their church than actual believers. And that's the progression we've seen through these churches. First, it started off with a little bit of compromise. Just allowing bad doctrine in the pews. It doesn't matter. It's just in the pews. we got to be loving, right? We gotta, that's what love really means. It's to just let people do whatever they want and feel like. That's what love means today, right? Just let people do whatever they want. got to be understanding. But from there, it crept to what? Then it was even the pulpit This woman, right, they called her Jezebel, the idea of Jezebel, and how she was giving corrupt doctrine. And it affected the church entirely to the point that this church of Sardis was filled with more unbelievers than actual believers. We have to be careful with this, right? I think we all know just because you're in McDonald's, it doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? It doesn't take that much time to think about that. Same is true for us in the church. Just because we're in a church does not necessarily mean we are sons and daughters of God. We have to have that relationship with the Lord. George B. Caird, he says, Sardis was the perfect model of an inoffensive church, inoffensive Christianity. Again, we've looked at this. It's so dangerous for us to have no saltiness, to have no light. God's word is offensive. It's offensive. It's incredible to know the love that God has for the world, the love Jesus has for each and every one of us. But again, Jesus is using, I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to divide those who are mine and those who belong to the world. I think every morning I'm pretty offended at the light, right? I don't know about you. The moment the the lights turn on, the moment the sun gets in, I get offended. Turn that off. Get that out of here, right? I want to stay in my sleep. I don't know if you ever have a wound and you put salt on it or hydrogen peroxide. I get offended when that happens, right? It stings. It hurts. And that's even something you sort of have to teach children is to press through the pain. Put, press through the pain of the way the medicine tastes, right? It's disgusting. I don't want, some adults are still pushing through that, right? I don't want to drink this. It's gross, right? You have a pain in, you have a sore in your mouth. Put salt in it, hydrogen peroxide. So like, no, it hurts too much, right? Is our Christianity completely inoffensive? Is there no light within us? Is there peace? We'll look at that later on. William Barclay, he says the church of Sardis was at peace, but it was the peace of the dead. Right? Some of us, my mind is very ADD. I need a, a very quiet room or only instrumental music to read and to study. 
I've never once thought of going to a burial ground to read or study, right? Maybe I should. Maybe the teachings will become more powerful, right? But I would never once think of going to a place like that to read or study. It's peaceful. I don't think you should take a girl out there on your first date, but it's peaceful, right? It's quiet. Probably people, nobody will bother you. There's flowers. It's well kept, right? But it is death. It is death. And for many of us, our relationships, they're peaceful, but there is spiritual death taking place in our relationships because we have zero saltiness. We have zero light. We are so consumed with peace and safety and quietness in our relationships that it is leading to spiritual death. You see, the city of Sardis, they were known for their money, their luxury, and their pleasure. Sardis was the first place where gold coins were invented and modern money was created. It was a city of wealth, a city of gold, and a city of sexual pleasure. But this lust and desire for pleasure and luxury and peace oftentimes led to a softness often led to a laziness, and that's what led to the destruction of the city of Sardis. They thought that the city of Sardis was impenetrable. There was no way to get into it. It was there at the top of a valley, and there was only one way into the city. So they were so overconfident, they did not guard that one entrance into the city. A Roman commander, he told all of his soldiers, hey, I'll give you an extra pay if anyone finds out how to get into Sardis. So one soldier waiting and waiting, studying and studying, watching, right? One day he saw a helmet of a soldier fall down the mountain, roll down, right? And then all of a sudden he saw a soldier pop out of nowhere. And there was a hidden trail of this impenetrable fortress into Sardis. Later on, they led a small battalion, and going down that small trail, they found it with zero defense, zero protection. Sardis was so overconfident in their luxury, in their pleasure, in their former lifestyle, they left their city unguarded. This happened not only once, but two times in in the history of Sardis. And in our lives, is that who we are? We are so much chasing luxury and pleasure and peace and comfort that we are completely spiritually dead. Right? You sit back and you think of Jesus. If we as a believer are only chasing pleasure, if we as a believer are only chasing peace, if we as a believer are only chasing comfort, it may sting, but we have nothing in common with Jesus Christ. Because when he came to earth, he was not chasing comfort. When he came to earth, he was not chasing peace. When he came to earth, he was not chasing pleasure. He took death, the full penalty of death, the full penalty of sin. He came down from heaven in perfection and had to go through the birth canal of a woman. He went through all of this. There is no peace. There is no safety. There is no pleasure. There is no luxuries for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we as believers today are just chasing an inoffensive Christianity, if we as believers are seeking a peace, I warn you, perhaps you have the peace of the dead and not the peace of Christ ruling and reigning in your lives. That word dead is to be spiritually dead, to be destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God himself. 
It is a life that is living in trespasses and sins. It is a life that is inactive in respect of doing right. Family, is that you? Are you just completely inactive when it comes to doing what's right before God? Are you just living in your trespasses and your sins, holding on to what you used to do or a prayer that you once prayed? Are you destitute of recognizing who God is and what, the God, what God's word is? We have to be careful with this. You see, in the church of Sardis, we see no persecution. Unlike uh, the church of Smyrna, we see no persecution. We see no martyrs. We see no difficulties. We see no imprisonments. We see no difficulties. Yet Jesus Christ himself describes this as the dead church. What are your difficulties in life spiritually? Have you received any kickback because of your stance on the Bible? Because of your stance on who God is and what he's done for you? Have you gotten any kickback or are you spiritually dead? So the question comes, what kills a church? A church that once had life, a church that once had the word of God ruling and reigning in it, what kills it? Listening to a teaching, there were two things from Jim Gallagher. He said legalism and liberalism. Legalism and liberalism will kill a church. When a church begins to depart from the Bible and attempts to make the people, make the people feel more powerful and more holy, we will die as a church. When other people come in and we think we're holier than them and we make rules and regulations, silly rules to make ourselves feel more holy, it will lead to death in the church. But liberalism does the same thing. In attempts to look more and more like the world to make church more inviting, we will die as a church. And you see, that's what, ha what has happened all over Europe, and that is quickly what's happening all over Canada. They are leaving that, man, the Bible is the word of God, that it is inerrant, that it is perfect. They are leaving that salvation is only in Christ alone, by faith alone. And that's why there are many churches in Europe today that are just dead and empty. Many churches today in Europe that have been changed into bars, have become Airbnbs, if you would. The Spirit of God is no, lo no longer living there. Biblically, we can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we will see what leads to death. And oftentimes, it's what we once came from, who we once were. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Paul here, writing to this church, he says, And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So here Paul tells us biblically the way that a church will die, the way a believer will have spiritual death, it's through trespasses and through sins. Are we living in purity? Is your life marked with purity, unspotted, unblemished from this world? 
First Timothy chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 also give us another example. You don't have to turn there. It's speaking of widows. In verse 5, it speaks of a widow who's consumed with church things, praying for one another, caring for the people. But then in verse 6, it speaks of another widow. It says, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. So we see trespasses, sins, and living in or living for pleasure leads to spiritual death. Again, this is a great question for each of us. Are we allowing sin to reign in our lives? Is our life filled with trespasses, sin upon sin upon sin? No repentance. Our life is known more by our sin, our filthy mouth, our corruption, our gossip, our terrible attitude towards other people or is our life known for the power and love of Jesus Christ are you living in and for pleasure are you just consumed with seeking pleasure are you just living for vacation to vacation for big ticket spending thing to big ticket spending thing I've noticed within this last season I've had to rent a couple cars after a few days the new car gets old in a hurry right That was most dangerous when I rented a Mustang, and I realized it got old pretty quickly, right? It got slow pretty quickly. That was dangerous. It got really dangerous, right? And for us, if we are living for pleasure, it will never fulfill us. It will never fulfill us. And then the warning there is that we are living for this earthly life, and we're not living for our eternal life. Do we have any treasure there in heaven? Are we living not for this life, the 40 years, the 60 years, the 80 years, Maybe you're in Guinness Book of World Records, 120 years of life. Or are you living for the life to come? Are you living for pleasure? We also see some perfect examples of having a name but being dead inside. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, Paul warns his son in the faith, Timothy. He says, in latter days, in the last days, there will be men who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And there Paul tells Timothy, from such people, turn away. That's a warning to each and every one of us. If we have a form of godliness, if we have a religiosity about us, if we have a certain respect towards God, but we're denying his power to help us overcome lifestyles and sins and the evil of this world, God tells us to turn away from such people. Are we all reading the same thing there? When there are people that are claiming to be Christians, and yet there's no power of Christ in their life, it's that time, I believe it it was Alexander the Great, that turned to a soldier and told him, change your name or change your conduct. Either stop calling yourself a Christian because your life is being overcome by sin. Your life is known by its sin. Your life is more connected with the world and the things of this world than the biblical truth of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. From such people turn away. That's not just a command for me. That wasn't just a command for Timothy. That's a command for every single one of us as believers. If there are people in our lives claiming to be Christians and yet they don't have the power of Christ in them, We are to turn away from such people. Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Paul, he commends his son in the faith, Timothy. Very similarly, he says, They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified 
for every good work. They profess to know God. They think they know him. They have all the right Bible answers on Bible jeopardy. They make all the money every time, right? However, in their works, in their lifestyle, they deny him. We have to be careful with this. They are disobedient to God's word. Ah, this is the way I was born. This is who I am. I've done this for so long. I'm, 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 I got Cuban blood. I got Italian blood. I got this. I got that, right? All these hang-ups. Are we being obedient to God's word? It says they're disqualified for every good work. I think of, I believe it's in Timothy, right? How God paints the picture that in a home there are many vessels. Some for honor, some for dishonor. And the only ones met and ready for the master's use are those that have left and fled from those sins. That have fled from those youthful lusts. Again, we have to be careful. Having a form of godliness but denying its power professing to know God. However, in our works, we deny him. Verse 2, right? Verse 1, that's a lot of not good news for this church of Sardis. In verse 2, it says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Here we see the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just put them out of their misery, Right? He doesn't say, hey, just end it, just, put, just kill this church, finish it off. He says, no, he gives them a way to repent. And that's the same for each and every one of us here this morning. If perhaps the first 30 minutes you've just been blown away, right? Just been a, a fire hydrant of conviction. This morning, Christ, this afternoon, Christ is giving you a chance to repent. And his desire is that you would repent. He's here with the seven spirits and with the seven stars. He's there with the pastors of these churches, the messengers of these churches. He's there with each of them saying, hey, come back to me. And that's the love Christ has for you today. Even if you've been dead, if you've been a hypocrite for all these years, this day Christ is saying, please come and repent. Jesus did not, for, did not forget about, Jesus did not give up on the church of Sardis. He was still in the midst of them and was able to work in them on one condition. They just had to be obedient to him. Just be obedient to the Lord. He tells them, be watchful. That is literally to become watchful. Become wakeful. Wake up, be on guard. This means that they were not watching whatsoever. They were not watching their own lives or the life of the church. They were spiritually asleep, and this spiritual sleep led to spiritual death. Then it says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. In fact, there's a tiny bit of life in this church. There's a small bit that was about to die, and here Jesus tells them, hey, strengthen those things. Again, overconfidence is what destroyed the city of, of Sardis on two separate occasions. And the same overconfidence on past works, this same overconfidence on their reputation was going to destroy this very church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 through 14, again, the same letter to the church of Ephesus, G, uh, not Jesus, Paul, through Jesus, Right? Speaks to them and says, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. And whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, 
Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Again, maybe you're just asleep. You're not paying attention to your spiritual state. I encourage you. Jesus encourages you. Wake up. Be watchful. Pay attention. This church was filled with works. Again, a reputation of being alive. However, they were dead. These works were not complete works. A.R. Falsetti says, Sardis and Laodicea did not have the faithfulness to witness for God by word and example. And we need to be faithful to witness for our God by word and example. You see, Sardis as a church was probably filled with work. They probably did a ton for their community. They fed the poor. They helped the homeless. They probably had every kind of ministry you could ever think of. Mission trips to a bunch of different nations. However, they forgot their only mission. And sometimes we can forget our only mission. Adam Clark on, I have not found your works perfect. That is, they perform duties of all kinds, but not duty completely. They were constantly beginning, but never brought anything to its proper end. And what's the proper end of every ministry that we start? The gospel. It's all about the gospel. Friends, serving our community, it's important. Feeding the poor, it's important. Helping the homeless, so important. Mission trips, trying to save our country. These are all important things. They're nice things to do. But if we are not preaching the gospel to these people, they will still perish in hell for all of eternity. And it will be a waste of time. The church's mission is not to just help this earth. The church's mission is to lead people from this life to the next life, to the true kingdom of Christ and righteousness. So we have to be careful that we don't just start off on the mission and we forget to seal the deal. It's not about feeding people. It's not about saving our country. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been speaking of the church ages And the last church age, right, it led to the dark ages. This mix of the Roman superpower, world power, and Christianity through Constantine led to the dark ages. Constantine, he added a bunch of pagan holidays and he mixed them in with Christianity. They began to take away the Bible from normal humans, right, and they only gave that to the people who were leading and the priests. And they added a bunch of terrible things to Christianity, However, in 1454, a German goldsmith by the name of Gutenberg had perfected his design on a machine that could produce pages of text at an incredible speed. And this brought the world out of the Dark Ages into the Age of Enlightenment. And in this Age of Enlightenment, there would be a fork in the road for all of human history. Ken Graves, he, he speaks of this so well. This fork in the road, it led to people and a culture that was oriented on the word. And it led to a people and a culture that was just obsessed with the image. This fork in the road is known as the Renaissance and the Reformation. These two things occurred at the same time. One in the south of Europe, the Renaissance. And one in the north of Europe, the Reformation. The Renaissance, these people, they ran towards art and architecture and science and seeking pleasure and luxury and comfort. But it also led to humanism. It led to atheists. It led to communism, Marxism, totalitarianism, and fascism. 
The Reformation, people here were running towards the word of God. And it led to eternal salvation for multitudes of people. Their churches had life once again. People were becoming literate. They were learning to read and write. There was a care and love for the poor, a love for the less fortunate. There were orphanages and hospitals being opened up by churches. And this culture that loved the word of God would one day give birth to the United States of America that we know today. This freedom that we love has been born by a culture created by biblical knowledge. In 1517, a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther wrote down his 95 thesis and he nailed it to the church door there in Wittenberg. It basically had two central beliefs, that the Bible was the only Christian authority and that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone and not by works. This Protestant Reformation was led by Luther, Tyndale, and Wesley. And they reminded the church to come back to many central doctrines found in the Bible. Grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, Scripture alone as our authority, and everything we do to be done for the glory of God alone. They helped so many men return to the central doctrines of the Bible. However, as Jesus says here, I have not found your works Perfect. I have not found your works complete before God. These credible reformers did so much for this dead Roman Catholic church. However, they did not go far enough. Many, including Luther, still held on to transubstantiation, which meant that Jesus was continually being offered every Sunday Mass, that his life was being sacrificed over and over and over again. Even though Peter said Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. They still held on to infant baptism, even though the Bible says to repent and then be baptized. The idea of replacement theology was birthed in and through the Roman Catholic Church. And these men, including Luther, held on to this same replacement theology. And it affected their view of the prophecy and end time doctrines of the Bible. Many of them did not believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Many of them did not believe in the tribulation or that God in the midst of the tribulation would open the eyes of Israel to see Jesus as their true Messiah. So what do we do about this? Do we just throw stones at them? Not at all. These men were incredible men and made so much change for our culture and for, again, the Reformation. For us, what we must make sure of is that our Reformation is not half-baked. That if God is doing a work in your life, don't stop halfway. Don't stop 20% of the way. Go through the full process of allowing your life to be reformed by the word of God. Be that living sacrifice in Romans 12 verse 1 through 2. Burn the ships. Don't turn back to your former lifestyle, but give your complete life over to Christ and the things of Christ. Allow your works for the Lord to be made complete. Don't just go halfway. Oh, Lord, I used to do this, so I'm just going to do this halfway. No, go all in for the Lord. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 3, it says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Here Jesus is telling them, remember the main thing. What's the main thing for every church? The gospel, 
and the power of Scripture. It's not the TED Talk. It's not the crowds. It's not the power. No, it's the power of Scripture. In the past, they have heard and received the gospel, but they departed from it. He says, remember, remember how you received and heard, and now hold fast to that and repent that you strayed away from it and that you left it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And oftentimes, what do people say about God's word? Ah, that's just, that's just fairy tales made up by men to control people, right? Hey, how can you believe it's all true? Didn't they make mistakes on the way? Didn't they change things? When we try to dumb down God's word and take the power away that it is not the word of God, we are on dangerous ground. We need to be reminded as we read this This is the word of God. This is the word become flesh. This is Jesus Christ speaking to us today. Hold fast to it and repent forever straying away from it. That's what I try to do as a pastor, as a teacher, is to just simply hold up God's word. And if you're mad, you're not mad at me. You're mad at the Bible because this is what we're reading together. Galatians chapter 3 verse 3 says, Are you so foolish Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You started off in the spirit. You prayed for this decision and God did a miracle. So now you're going to start Googling and YouTubing and trying to do it in your own flesh? You're not going to continue to allow the spirit to move in you and through you? Jesus continues in his exhortation to give life back to this church. He says, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. If the church would stay overconfident and keep coasting in their name and reputation, Jesus would come upon them at a time completely unexpected. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, we get such an important portion of scripture on the rapture. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Do we freak out about this? Is this weird? No. Paul continues in verse 18. He says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Again, the Protestant Reformation did not go far enough. Luther and many others simply carried over the end times teaching of the Catholic Church. But 1 John 3, 3 tells us everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. A dependence, a readiness for the rapture, it purifies us. It cleanses us. It keeps us walking right with the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Hey, are you living your life without spot and blameless? 
Again, when we have a true readiness for the rapture, it leads to more and more purity. How did this church become dead? They began to leave the work of the Holy Spirit, and leaving the work of the Holy Spirit led them to leave the purity that we are to have in and through Christ Jesus. Sir Winston Churchill, he said, I must drop one word of caution. For next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. Have we become neglectful? Have we become slothful and lazy in our relationship with the Lord? We have to be careful. That will lead to absolute destruction in this spiritual battle that we're in. We're not fighting just against other humans. We are actually fighting against principalities and powers and the devil and his demons never sleep. And if we grow lazy, if we grow neglectful, we will be destroyed. Again, next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. Are you relying on your old name, who you used to be, what you once did for the Lord? Or do you have that fresh manna? Man, this is what I read from God today. This is how he spoke in my life today. You're not just talking about the good old days when you used to serve the Lord. You're saying, man, can you, can you believe what God's doing here? Man, in kiddos ministry this last week, in parking lot last week, and ushers, can you believe what God is doing in our midst? Is that you? And to the parents, sometimes we can become overconfident with our own kids, right? What do most kids say? Ah, he's a good kid, right? Our kids are good kids. Jesus would beg to differ, right? He says no one is good, not one, not one. Why are our kids not good? Because they're like their parents, man. They're just like their parents, just like their dad. We have to be careful. Our salvation, our inheritance in heaven, can we show it through the Bible? Can we read God's word and say, yeah, that's me. I'm doing that. That's why I know in who I believe. That's why I know. Verse 4, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. You see, even in this mostly dead church, there was still a faithful remnant. Even in an almost dead church, right, barely any heartbeat there, there were still some that lived in purity, that lived in a purity in their walk with the Lord. Again, Luther, Tyndale, Wesley, these men, they walked in purity. They did not defile their garments. We see the progression here. Pergamos, they allowed compromise in the pews. Thyatira, they allowed compromise in their pulpit, which led to corruption in the pews. The problem with Sardis was that it was not just corrupt, it was dead. It was past corruption. The church was just dead. It was so comfortable that the church was filled with unbelievers. There was no sting. There was no speaking of sin. There was no salt. There was no light. And now the vast majority of the people attending the church of Sardis were dead. They weren't even Christians. We have to be careful with this. However, there is hope that even in a mostly dead church, there's a small minority that had not defiled themselves. Even pagan religions did not allow people with dirty clothes to come into their temples and approach their fake gods. We need to walk in purity. And we don't have time to go through the entire book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But when we went through that, we saw that if we are truly Christians, we have a love for God. 
And if we have a love for God, we're going to have a love for other believers. And if we have a love for God, we're going to be obedient to Scripture. We're going to live in purity. We're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. Is that us here this morning? Do we have a love for God that is revealed in our walking in purity, walking in the light as he is in the light? And do we have a love for the bride of Christ? Because this is his bride. Matthew Poole, he says, Just as sin is expressed under the notion of nakedness, so holiness is expressed under the notion of a white garment. Right When Adam and Eve sinned, right away they're blown away. How oh, we're naked. And what do they grab to clothe themselves? A bunch of itchy leaves, right? That's what we do when we try to hide our own sin. We just make it way worse than it was to begin with, right? However, when we come to Christ, His righteousness and His holiness is given to us as these white garments. What does He continue? Jesus says, And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I haven't heard anyone say it in a long time, but back in the day, a lot of people joke around saying, my name is Zach, and I enjoy long walks on the beach, right? Anybody remember saying that or or hearing someone say that? Anyone enjoy long walks on the beach? I enjoy long walks on the beach, right? But I think what makes the long walk on the beach an enjoyable walk is the quietness, the stillness, the cell phone is not going off. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right? It's, it's the stillness, the quietness. Don't worry. It happens to all of us. It happens to me up here. Um, it's the, the calmness, the stillness, and the conversation, walking with someone you love. Right? Who do you want to spend a long walk on the beach with? Usually someone you love. Would you like to have a nice long walk on the beach with your boss? I, I guess it depends who your boss is, right? If you love them, if you're related to them or not. Right, would you like a nice long walk on the beach with your political adversary, right? Who did you vote for? Hey, let's take a nice long walk on the beach here, right? Is that what you would like? No, we enjoy these long walks with the person that we love. That's who we enjoy these walks with. And the reward for the believer who is guarding their life and watching their own life, the reward is to walk with Jesus, All the days of our life, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And if that brings joy to your heart, if that brings peace to your heart, then you love the Lord. If you could care less, if you're cold, if that does nothing to your heart and soul, perhaps you have no love for Jesus. And if you have no love for Jesus, you have no room for life and life abundantly in your heart. What makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is there. That's what makes heaven heaven. And if you don't have a desire for Jesus, you have no business thinking in your overconfidence that you're going to be in heaven. We need to cultivate a love for Jesus Christ in our heart. Genesis chapter 5 verse 24 tells us that Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Again, Enoch walked so closely with God, God said, Enoch, let's just cut to the chase, man. Forget death. Just come up here and let's walk together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, are we walking in purity? Have our hearts become corrupt? Have they become cynical? Have they become darkened? Have they become evil? 
I encourage you, friend, cry out to Jesus to change your heart. He can change that heart of thorn and rock, and he promises to give you a heart of flesh. Charles Spurgeon, this is a a long quote, but bear with me. Someone asked him, what shall be done with such persons as live in the church but are not of it? Having a name to live but are dead. What shall be done with mere professors and not possessors? What shall become of those who are only outwardly religious but inwardly are in the gall of bitterness? Spurgeon says, we answer as good Calvin once did. They shall walk in black for they are unworthy. They shall walk in black, the blackness of God's destruction. They shall walk in black, the blackness of hopeless despair. They shall walk in black, the blackness of incomparable anguish. They shall walk in black, the blackness of damnation. They shall walk in black forever, because they were found unworthy. Family, the only way we are worthy is if we're found in Jesus Christ. Again, it's faith alone in Christ alone by his grace and his grace alone. But if you are not in that, you will spend eternity in this darkness. Verse 5, Jesus continues. He says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. If you're quick, you can turn to 1 John chapter 5. It's just a couple of pages to the left from Revelation 3. And there in 1 John chapter 5, we find out who is he who overcomes. What does it take to truly be that overcomer? 1 John 5, verse 4 through 5, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Family, if you've truly been born again, you are that overcomer. And now it's time to walk by faith. That's the whole point. If you are truly born again, you're going to be that overcomer and the just live and walk by faith. To overcome, to not be forced into the mold of this world. To not just be consumed with that 11th commandment of niceness and everybody liking you. We need to be those who overcome this world. That we're not overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. William Barclay, he says, In ancient times, cities kept a register of their citizens. And when a man died, his name was removed from the register. The risen Christ is here saying that if we wish to remain on the role of the citizens of God, we must keep our faith flamingly alive. We need to stay alive in Christ. We need to stay abiding in the vine. We do not need to ride on a prayer we once prayed or one time we stood up or one time we did this. We need to rely in Christ and abide in him and allow his life to be pouring out of us today right here and right now the book of life we don't have time to go there later on in revelation we'll run into the book of life once again but the book of life one day will be opened and every man whose name is not written in it will be judged not with the judgment of the believer but with the judgment of the unbeliever being tossed into the lake of fire for all of eternity 
And to make a long story short, again, later on we'll go more in depth into it. The book of life, there is a book that God has that every single person that has ever been created, every little baby, infant, human being that has ever existed is written in that book of life. And then up until that moment, that day, that second that we pass away, if we are not found in Christ, our name is blotted out. Your name is blotted out. That's why we just need to be in Christ. It's as simple as that. Be in Christ and abide in Christ. Don't just ride on your reputation or what people think about you. And if we do this, if we are those who overcome, we're going to be clothed in white garments. He's not going to blot out our name. Again, what a comfort there. And then even more comfort, he says, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Again, another moment where I think depending what this does to your mind and soul, it sort of of reveals where you are at. To think that Jesus is going to confess your name before God the Father. That we're going to arrive there in heaven. And I love how Joe Foch puts it. We're not going to arrive there in heaven and it's not like that awkward person that comes to the party. How did this guy get in here, man? Who invited him? I don't know how he got in here. Uh, Father, this is Zach. Um, I'm not sure how he got here, but hey, here's Zach. You can give him a little, a little corner between the two mansions and you can just let him hide out back there. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be Jesus Christ saying, Father, Zach's here. He's with me. Here's my little brother. Here's my little sister. He finally made it. Again, does that affect our heart? Does that affect our soul? To know that the Son of God will say our name before the creator of the heavens and the creator of the earth? Or do you think you just deserve that? Do you think you just deserve heaven because of your good works? Again, friend, his name, he's willing to confess us before the Father. Again, so blown away, right? The the book of Hebrews says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. He's not ashamed to say, hey, that's a part of my family. We're the weak link. We're the little maggot in the relationship. We're the one riding his coattail. And oftentimes we're the ones ashamed to be identified with Christ. And yet Jesus says, hey, I'm not ashamed to be identified with Zach. Zach, he's with me. That's my little brother. He's a part of my family. That's what Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33 tell us. It says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men... Him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Family, are we confessing Jesus Christ or are we ashamed of him? Are we bringing that light? Are we bringing that saltiness into our conversations? Or do we just want that peace, that dead peace? Finally, verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, this is not just speaking to the Protestant Reformation. This is not just speaking to Calvary Chapel, Miami. This is speaking to each and every one of us personally. Are we riding our past successes? Someone asks you, hey, how's your walk with the Lord doing? Oh, man, I remember when I went on this mission trip. Oh, man, you should have seen me back in the day, all the things I used to do for the Lord. Are you riding your past successes? We have to be careful with that. Our life needs to be alive in Christ today, not, not once a long time ago. Right? There, there's a, a big warning there in the parable of the sower. 
In the parable of the sower, the seed is thrown everywhere, and the seed, in most cases, begins to germinate. The seed begins to grow, if you would. However, at different parts of the life of that seed, something causes it to die. Again, in our lives, have we once, we barely germinated and then we died? Or are we today alive in Christ and what Jesus says, bearing fruit? Are we bearing much fruit? Because then, man, you have peace. Then you know you are abiding with Jesus Christ. Again, we, I don't think anybody enjoys leadership that says, do as I say and not as I do, right? I don't think anybody, right? So often we see today on the news these different politicians and they issue all their mask mandates, but they're out to dinner, they're at the ball game, they're out in public doing whatever they feel like and they're all over the news. They have to issue an apology about it later on. We don't enjoy that, right? No one likes that old man at the gym that says, when I was in high school, I used to bench 450 all by myself, right? Prove it, old man. Let me see it, right? Let me see what you got. Oftentimes in Christianity, we do the same thing. Someone is serving their absolute hardest, and we come by them and say, hey, you know what I used to do for the Lord? Man, show me today. What are you doing for the Lord today? Are we thinking that we're fine with God because we have a good reputation with people? Do we think we have a good reputation with people, and just because we have a good reputation, I'm going to coast into heaven? Judas had a good reputation with the disciples. None of the disciples thought Judas was the bad guy. If not, they would have beaten him up a long time ago, right? That would have happened a long time ago. Amongst the disciples, they thought Judas was great. Are we thinking just because people think we're good, unbelievers think that we're a good person, we think we're getting into heaven? Family, relook at your life. Are we overconfident in our relationship with Jesus Right? We have to be careful that pride doesn't creep in and we think that we're so firm and things are never going to cause us to stumble. We have to be careful. We need to guard. We need to be on watch. We need to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but in wisdom. And finally, are we walking pure and blameless lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if we are, then we will be far away from sin. Is that your life? If you have the Spirit of God ruling and reigning in your life, that sevenfold Spirit of God we looked at, right? The fear of the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord, the strength of the Lord. If that is ruling and reigning in your life, you're going to be so far away from sin. However, if sin is what's ruling and reigning in your life, right? We read Ephesians. You're dead. Again, he who has an ear, let him hear. That word is for each and every one of us personally. Lord, am I spiritually dead and I don't even realize it? Lord, am I just riding the coattails of my parents? Lord, am I just riding the coattail of my, of my wife or my husband? That I just think by association, hey, you let my wife in, of course you got to let me in. It doesn't work that way. Right? There's that saying, God has no grandchildren, right? It's only children. Ah, oh, my parents are strong believers. Of course I'm going to get in. They let me go everywhere they go, right? It doesn't work that way. Each and every one of us need to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, hey, let's all stand. We're going to close in worship. The pastors are going to be up front. If you need prayer for anything, maybe you're a parent this morning and you realize you are way too confident in your kid's salvation. Man, come up front and pray. Maybe you realize you have no salvation. You prayed a prayer once and yet that seed was taken, gone, and dead decades ago. Man, come up front. Pray that prayer and walk in that newness of life.